We're in a new series that I've never preached from before called Ezra. Uh, we're all going to grow deeper from this. I'm going to grow deeper from this. This is a new territory for me. I know the book of Ezra. I've read it before, but I haven't really done a, a message series on it. I haven't preached a message series on it, but I'm excited to preach this series on Ezra. Um, it's actually growing deep as one of our four core values. We believe around here that we want to reach wide. We want to grow deep. We want to unleash compassion, and we want to raise up the next generation. We believe that the, the church that wins, the kids wins. We also believe that we're called to grow deeper and grow deeper in our faith. And so we're going to grow deeper in our faith in, in this season and time. And as we look at the book of Ezra, why Ezra? Well, I think we're living in a day that's different than uh, what it was back then, but there's human nature and everything. There's so many similarities. One is there was broken dreams back then. There was broken relationships. There was there was frustrations, there was broken hopes. And in Ezra, we find a people that were exiled in captivity, feeling hopeless, feeling down, feeling discouraged, uh, feeling like there wasn't much of a future. Uh, but the story of Ezra is this, God was working on a plan to restore. We serve a God that is restoring, that is in the God of, he's a God of restoration. And, and today, you may, you may be here, to, or you may be watching online, you may feel like you are, like, like the Israelites, you're, you're, you're in maybe feeling bondage. Uh, you're maybe not feeling free. Maybe you're feeling that you don't have the hope that you would, you would like to have or the faith that you'd like to have. And Ezra is all about restoring that hope, restoring that faith. So if you're here today and your hope is a little low, I pray in this series, I believe God wants to restore your hope. If you're here today and you find your faith is a little bit lacking, I believe that God wants to restore your faith. I believe God wants to restore your love. I believe God wants to restore our joy, not found in our circumstances, but found in the person of Jesus Christ. I believe that God wants to store, restore relationships. I believe that God wants to restore marriages. I, I believe God wants to do a new thing. The, the word restore means to, to, to return to the condition it was or to, to make new. I believe God wants to do some new things. I believe God wants to do some new things collectively as a church this year. In our church, I believe God wants to restore and do some good things. Together, we're going to go on a 10-week journey. And friends, if you'll join me on this journey, I believe God wants to do some, some of his best work, some of his restorative work in you and in me. So as we begin this series, I want God to help us. I don't want this to be about anything I say or do, so we're just going to start this series off. Would you join me? We're going to pray God is going to use the book of Ezra these next 10 weeks to restore us, to grow us, to help us to become a people that he called us to be filled with hope, love, and faith. Father, I just pray in these next few moments that we have together, I pray, Lord, that you would move in our hearts. I pray that you would move in the hearts of the oldest person in this room. I pray you'd move in the youngest heart that is in this room. I pray that you'd move in those watching online. I pray that you'd move in people's hearts that are feeling hopeless today or are struggling in their faith. Uh, they're wanting to get off to a good start this year. They're wanting to begin their year, Lord, uh, growing. And, and Lord, maybe they're, they're struggling in that. I pray, God, that you would use your word to speak to our hearts to transform us, change us, and make us more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's see what we can learn 
from the blueprint of Ezra this morning. Um, I'm going to give a little introduction of Ezra, then we're going to dive into chapter 1. First, who is Ezra? Ezra is the spiritual leader of the day. He is the pastor, if you will, of, and he's, he's the prophet. He is the spiritual leader of Israel in that season and time. And he, and along with a man named Nehemiah, who was cupbearer to the king, uh, Nehemiah was a political leader. He was, he was placed in charges of, of governor. He was given influence. Ezra and Nehemiah, actually two books that were really were uh, together. At one time, the original manuscripts, Ezra and Nehemiah was one book. Um, we're not going to spend much time on, on Nehemiah, but I want to point out that Nehemiah, we are going to reference Nehemiah through this series at different times because they both served a purpose. Ezra and Nehemiah were both giving a calling by God to help restore Israel, to help bring them back to Jerusalem and rebuild. Uh, to restore something that had been lost. And they had different functions. Uh, Ezra's calling and his charge was to rebuild the temple of God in Jerusalem. He was first to rebuild that. And, and Nehemiah's charge was to rebuild, the, um, to rebuild the, the walls. Twelve years later, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We're going to touch on that in a little bit later. I'm going to come back to that. But I, I, I want us first to understand the importance of Ezra going first. Ezra rebuilding the temple. That before God set up uh, that he was going to have Nehemiah rebuild the walls that had been destroyed in a city that had laid in ruins and rubble, he first wanted to restore the temple of God before he rebuilt the walls. And I think that's significant. I really believe that's significant. It applies to us on what we're going to rebuild first. It actually made me think of, of uh, one of our patriarchs and one of the great leaders of our church for years and years who passed this last year in 2022, Larry Doskasil. In fact, uh, it's so funny how, how often different times out in the community uh, his name will pop up. I was in Starbucks this week. I was getting a coffee. I was talking with another guy. He started uh, engaging in a conversation with me, told me he went to Cross Point Church, asked where I went to church, and I began to tell him a little bit about where, where we went to church. And he said, oh, the church that Larry built. If you're, if you're new here, um, you're, you're very new here, but if you've been around a long time, I mean, Larry would be horrified by those words, by the way. He's very humble. He would not want that being said about him. But there's going to be things in the next 10 years that are going to be said about Larry that couldn't be said in his lifetime because out of respect for him and his great humble heart, he would not want these things shared. But I believe they bring great glory to God, the life that he lived. And that uh, 40 years ago when this building that we are blessed to be in, when it was built 40 years ago, uh, Larry and a young pastor that had just moved, he'd been here six weeks, Bob Broadbrooks, he'd been here six weeks as a young 30-year-old pastor. When Larry came to him and said, hey, this is, we're not done with paying for this. You and the board do your best to pay the bills this next year and give the rest to me. These are things that I could, we would not be able to share beforehand. And over that period of that year, Bob, Pastor Bob said that maybe about a million dollars Larry, back back in 1983, had given to this church, had given to help to help have the place that we're in today, and, and he wouldn't want any credit for that. But here's what I want to acknowledge. Here's what I want to highlight. At the same time, he was getting ready to 
move into a nice, he was going to build a nice new home. But he put that on hold. He set that aside. And he and his first wife, Jackie, they lived in, a, in, in like a modular or outside the property. And they chose to have the church built first. They had the church built before he had his own home built. The church, the temple in Ezra, the temple was to be built first. Uh, before he built the walls and the protection of a city of Jerusalem, and that was important, God set the foundation that the temple must be built first. Now, we live in a day that uh, we're not talking about a physical building, about rebuilding a temple. We're talking about uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 6, 19 when he says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who is in you, whom you have received from God. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. It, 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 if, if anything's going to start and be rebuilt and be restored and be made new, it's got to start here. It's got to start from the inside out. The, the, the best success and the greatest success starts from the inside out, not the outside in. Or said maybe this way, and we've said this before, before God can do something great through you, or before God can do something great for you, he must first do something great in you. Before God can do anything, and God wants to do some great things through your life. He wants to do some great things for your life. Before he can do something great for you or do something great through you, he must first do a great work in you. That's where it all begins. That's where it all starts. And God's plan for Israel was to rebuild the temple first. And the same of principles apply to us. Not building a physical temple, but building the temple of God and allowing God to, to build and restore our lives. But before the Israelites, before they could even uh, restore and rebuild the temple, they first had to return. They'd been in exile. They'd been living in, in Babylon. Uh, they'd been taken captive to Babylon, a, a great deal of them. Not all of them, many were left, and the majority were left back in Jerusalem. To, to leave uh, behind on a ash heap of, of rubble and debris, and the, the whole city was destroyed. I think I was reading recently, uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed like 37 times in the history of the world, and God's restored it every time. You think Jerusalem's important to God? Think, think that might matter to him a little bit, uh, that, that God's people would have a, a place. And so the, the temple was the first thing. But here's the deal. There was those that had been held captive, uh, and you might remember the story of uh, some of these from if you grew up in kids' church. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, and the lion's dens. They were some of the brightest and best that were taken captive by Babylon, which is today is modern-day Iraq. They were held captive. They were taken to learn their language, to serve the Babylonians, to, to, to serve at their whim and their pleasure. And so they had some of the brightest and the best in Babylon. They had them over here. And God, before he could restore and return uh, Jerusalem to its original state, before he could rebuild the temple, they first had to go back. The first step to rebuilding the temple is to go back, is to return to God. It's, it's the, the main message of several of a lot of the Old Testament prophets, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Malachi. Their main message was return to me. 
And it is the main message of Ezra. It's the main message of Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1.9 says this, but if you return to me and obey my commands. Before we can have the temple restored to God, we must return to him. We must receive Christ. We must accept his grace and forgiveness in our life. We must return to him. If you want God to restore you, maybe you're here today and you're, those words resonate with you and you're praying, God, I need you to restore whatever it is in your life. It starts by returning to God. It starts by returning to him. Before God can do something great in you, or, or through you or for you, he must do something great in you. At the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, Israel, God's people, were living in exile and captivity. For 490 years, they had been living in exile and captivity. In large part because their hearts had turned away from God. And God just allowed things to take its course. Because they weren't trusting in him... Things just naturally took their course, so they were conquered in 606 B.C. by Babylon. Nineteen years later, Babylon completely demolished Jerusalem, completely demolished the temple, destroyed everything. Israel would live in captivity for 70 years after Babylon took over. But God in his faithfulness, even while the people were faithless, God was planning their comeback. He was planning their restoration. And I find that to be good news. We're going to dive into that more in this series. That God's already planning your comeback. God's already planning our comeback. Even when you've been and I've been and we've been unfaithful, God is faithful. It's who he is. And he's planning our comeback. He's planning to restore us. He is faithful in that. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why we're at our worst, Jesus died for us because he had a plan to restore us. Let's look at Israel's comeback recorded in Ezra chapter 1. If you want to join me either on your phones or on the screens or in your Bibles, on your, in the old-fashioned ones that you have, if you want to do that, Ezra chapter 1 says, In the year that King Cyrus of Persia in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia. If you'd like to underline things in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline the word, the Lord moved. He moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation through his realm and also to put it in writing. Who's king Cyrus? Well, it's the first year of his reign. Uh, he's from Persia. I thought we were in Babylon. I thought we had the Babylonians. Well, the, you know, as things happen, one country takes over and one kingdom takes over another kingdom. And the Babylonians, they had captured and held Israel captive. But they didn't last forever. No kingdom on this earth is going to last forever. And Persia came and they conquered. They conquered Babylon. And to the... To the winner goes the spoils. And so the, the, now they're just being held captive by someone else. Now they're not held by, captive by the Babylonians. Now they're being captive by Persia, who's overtaken Babylon. Uh, some of the Jews we talked about that were in Babylon at that time, Daniel meets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Cyrus, uh, this king of Persia, uh, it was in his first year. He was not a Jew. He 
was going to become a Jewish sympathizer. He was not, he was not part of God's, uh, he was not part of God's uh, chosen. And yet God had a plan for him. He moved in his heart. And this is God's plans. You're not going to mess up God's plans. You know how it said Jeremiah prophesied this. Prophesied this King Cyrus before this happened. In fact, uh, I think that's Jeremiah chapter 25. In Isaiah chapter 45, Cyrus is mentioned and called out by name 150 years before he existed. God had a plan. God was working on a long-term plan of restoration, and he had a plan, and Cyrus was going to be used by God. And just think about this for a moment. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, not king of the Jews, not king of Israel, but the king of a foreign occupier, the king of, a, the king of another nation. God moved in his heart. And that just gave me goosebumps when I read that. I got encouraged when I read that because I thought some of us sometimes we're praying for God to move things that we've lost hope in him moving. Or maybe you've prayed for people that you thought God's never going to move in their heart. Don't give up praying for people. God never gives up on them. God will use them. God, God, God will, can bring them back. Don't give up praying for God to move the hearts of what you may think is impossible. I think to my, my brother-in-law who pastored in Denver for nine or ten years, and they had, a, they had a project that they were trying to build about a five, six million addition onto their church. Actually, the three or four other pastors before him, they'd been trying to do this for 30 years. For 30 years they felt like they needed to expand and do something, but the city kept saying no. They kept going to the city. The city kept saying no. They kept getting voted down. They would not let them expand. They would not let them build. And they began to pray that God would give a yes. And they began to pray in earnest that God would move on a city council member. It had always been, a, you know, a, sometimes a one to four vote or a two to three vote, but they never could get that three to two vote. But on that particular day that they celebrate, it was a day that the city council moved three to two to let them expand and let them build. And they began to call that the Yes Project because they were waiting for God to give a yes. They were waiting for God to move in hearts that they could not move. God was going to have to do something. Don't give up praying for God to move hearts you think are impossible. Verse 2, excuse me, verse 2. This is what King Cyrus of Persia said, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judea. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in my locality where supervisors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. This was God moving hearts. This was God moving a heart of a king to make them, him sympathetic to the Israelites. King Cyrus, we see, we see that, that God, that even King Cyrus wisely saw that God was sovereign, that God was the one that gave him the authority, God's the one that gave him the provision. We would be wise to understand that God is the one that provides for us. 
He's the one that gives us any of our resources or authority or anything that we have. It is because of him. But at the king's proclamation, at the king's proclamation, the king puts them on a path to freedom. And it takes a king's proclamation. It takes sometimes the stroke of a president's pen for something to be able to move and for something to be able to happen. It took the proclamation of the king to put them on a path to freedom. How much greater is that freedom that Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, has brought to us? How much greater when we think about the proclamations made to us that we need to hold on to? John eight thirty six. so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus has come to set the captives free. He's come to set you free. He's come to set me free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. This proclamation by Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. come. The old is gone. The new is here. Or Romans 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to remember these proclamations that have been that, that have been proclaimed over us. We need to hold on to these. Because like we were singing some songs today, we were singing hallelujahs in faith of not knowing when those things are going to happen. And and that's really what's being called upon here is we need to hold on to the Word of God. We need to hold on to His promises. We need to hold on to His proclamations because we all know this. Life gets hard. Life gets difficult. Some of you right now are walking through great and discouraging times. You're walking with your face to the wind, and you're walking uphill, and we need to be reminded to hold on to the proclamations of God's Word. Hold on to the proclamations because you are going to face opposition. We're going to see through the book of Ezra and some of Nehemiah, they faced opposition. Believe me, whenever you decide to follow God, to follow Jesus, you are going to face opposition. You can count on it. Don't get discouraged by it. Just know that it's part of the deal. We are going to face opposition. We have an enemy that is fighting against your faith. He's fighting against your hope. He's fighting against your joy. We have an enemy that's fighting against us. We need to hold on to it. But here's what I'm more confident in. Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Jesus. Hold on to the promise that God is still at work. I I loved when we went through our capital campaign and we went through our remodel and rebuilding. I love the signs that Pastor Nate ordered for us that were everywhere that said, pardon our progress. Pardon our progress. And this first day of January of 2023, I want to encourage you, friends, Hold on to, God is doing a a new work in you. God is faithful to complete the work that he started in you. You may feel like you're struggling, but hold on to your faith. Hold on to the word because God is going to finish what he started. We're a work in progress. I'm so encouraged as your pastor today to be able to say to you, I'm just a work in progress. God's not done with me yet. You, you maybe have thought of some things that I could, you know, improve upon and get a little bit better at it. Hang on. God's not done with me. I'm still a work in progress. He's still working on me. He's still doing a work, and he's going to finish that work. And friends, the same is true for you. God's still working on you. God's still working out his, his will and his best for your life. But first, you must let him start that work in you. Ezra 1.5 tells us this, 
Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved. I'd circle that again. Everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All whose hearts that were moved, they prepared themselves. Let's prepare ourselves, January 1. Let's put, our position, put ourselves in a position to let God move our hearts. Because here's what we have to understand. At the time of God moving the hearts of his people, there was two million Jews. Two million of those that responded to the call and movement of God was only 50,000. One in every 40 said, yes, I'll be a part of this. One in every 40 responded and allowed their hearts to be moved and were moved by, the, by, by God. Let's be part of that. Let's be part of that remnant. Let's be part of the ones. Don't get discouraged when others don't join. Don't get discouraged when others don't come alongside you. You be a part. You can be the one that says, God, I'm going to let you move in my heart. I, I don't know what you're going to do in everyone else, but I'm going to give you permission to move in my heart. I want you to move in my heart. Everyone's invited. Everyone's given the invitation. I think of 2 Peter 3, 9, that God was not willing that any should perish, but that everyone should come to repentance. But not everyone comes to repentance. I'm reminded in Ezekiel 33, 11, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so that they can live. Turn. Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die? Restoration begins with repentance. The movement of God begins with repentance. And so often I feel like we treat the word repentance like it's a bad word. Like it's, like it's, a, a, like it's dark and like it's not good and, and like there's condemnation to it. Repentance is a good thing. Repentance means to change your mind. Repentance means to go the opposite direction, to, to take a turn in a good direction, away from maybe a direction that hasn't been good. It means to, to change. Change is good when it's changed towards God. Let's not be afraid of the word repentance because restoration begins with repentance. It begins with changing our mind, changing direction. My prayer for us this year is that God will move in your hearts, that God will move in your hearts for the work that God wants to do in you. That God will move in my heart for the work that God wants to do in me. That God will move through our hearts for the work that he wants to do through us. Because before God can do something great through you or for you, he must first do something great in you. Verse 6. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem, had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Medeth, the treasure, sorry, who, count, who countered them to the Shechabizer, the prince of Judah. You try to say those two words in front of everybody. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. 
What matters is God moved. What matters is God moved in the obedience of a few. And it's amazing what God will do when a few obey. It's amazing the movement that he creates when, 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 when God's people respond to the movement of, of his heart and his desire. It only takes, as it says, a spark to get a fire going. My question is, will you be that spark? Will you allow God to create a spark within you, to create a movement within you? Will you allow him to move in your heart and your mind? It only takes a few moving in obedience to begin a movement. If God could do a whole movement for all of Jerusalem and all of the, the temple, when one of 40 people responded, imagine if just a few respond to the movement of God in their lives this year. What if you respond to the movement of God? What if you chose in humbleness to maybe repent and change directions and go a different way? So I asked this question this morning of you, and in your notes you've been maybe following along, maybe not, but this is the place I would ask you that maybe you just write this down and to pray about this and think about this. What do you want to see God restore? January 1st, 2023, as we look forward into this year, as we put 2022 in the past, what do you want God to restore? Just name it in your mind, put it on that paper, begin to pray about it. But be honest with God. What do you want God to restore? Do you want Him to restore your marriage? Do you want Him to restore relationship? Do you want God to restore maybe finances? Do you want God to restore you from a, and heal you from an addiction? Do you want God to restore a, a job that can provide for your family? Now, this isn't a name it, claim it. This isn't a prosperity gospel preaching. That's not what this is about. But what do you want God to restore? God knows already. What do you want God to restore in you? This year, What do you want God to restore in you, in your, in your life, in, in your family, in your health? Before God can do something great through you or for you, He must first do something great in you. Nehemiah 1.9, if you return to me and obey my commands. It's not out of Ezra or Nehemiah, but I've chosen for us, our church this year, a verse of the year, and I want to get it plastered on the walls. We just don't have it up yet. But from that same sentiment, Psalm Chapter 51, verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I am praying that God would restore the joy of your salvation. That God would restore the joy of our salvation. That he would grant us a, a willing spirit. That he'll, we'll allow him to move in us. We'll give God permission to move in our hearts and our minds and our thoughts. And then I didn't want to leave out, it's not going to be on the verse out there, but I didn't want to leave out verse 13 because here's the results. There's always results when we turn to God. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. That's that thing of before God can do something great for you or through you, he first must do something great in you. First let him restore you, restore the joy of your salvation, restore a willing spirit to sustain you. Then I will teach others the way of God. 
then I will teach others to return back to him. Think how great it would be this year is if you return to the joy of your salvation, you get so on fire for God that coworkers, family members, neighbors, they want what you have. They want what you got. They want to be around you more because God's done something in you. God's done something in you, and so he's going to do something through you. He's going to use that to bless others. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. These are my two thoughts. Pray for God to move and restore your heart first. Then pray for God to, to move and restore the hearts of others. Maybe you have family members. But I know we always like to go to others first. God will just fix them. My life will be so much better. God, if you'll just help the knucklehead to my left or to my right, my life will be so much better this year. No, God, do a work in me. God, don't, I want God to do a work in you. Don't get me wrong. Don't do a work in them. Do a work in me, God. Do a work in me. Do a work in me this year. Restore to me the joy of my salvation so that I can teach others to, that their joy can be restored as well, to turn back to you. Pray for God to move in your heart. Friends, I've already seen signs of some things this last year. I don't have their permission. I won't share their names. But I've seen God move in some hearts. I'm seeing God move in some hearts right now. I can't wait when they're ready to tell their story. I'm, a, I'm even thinking of one today of from five years ago when I got here, uh, I remember a, a couple friends asked me to come to their house, kind of their newer pastor, and their marriage was struggling. They, they, were, they were struggling with some things in their lives, and honestly, I didn't have the answers. I couldn't fix things. But you know what they did? They repented, and they began to see their, their marriage restored. The husband began to get on his knees every morning and his wife would walk by his study room and see him on his knees praying for her and praying for them. And God began to move in her heart because she saw God had moved in her husband's heart. And that marriage is going well and strong today. I honestly can't wait for them to tell their story one day because I believe it'll bring glory and honor to God. But God wants to move in hearts and lives. And maybe you're on the other side of it and you're saying, well, you know, I'm on the other side and I'm a divorce. And so it's all, no, God wants to restore you. He may not restore the marriage, but God wants to do a new thing in your life. God wants to do a new work in you. We believe in a God. And why I'm excited about this study in the book of Ezra is because it's all about a God who restores his people. It's all about a God who was working on a restoration plan long before they repented and came back to him. God is always working to restore a relationship with him. Do you stand with me today as we go to prayer, as we enter into this new year? The worship team is going to sing a song in a moment about praying a generational blessing that God would bless our, our lives, that God would bless our children and our children's children. It's a spiritual prayer. It's a spiritual blessing that we want to we pray. But before we can see God do a great thing in our kids and our grandkids, God's got to start a new work in us. He's got to restore us. He's got to do a new thing in us. 
And I'm asking you today not to look around at your neighbors or someone else, but God, what do you want to do in me? What, do, what, what would I like you to restore in me? What do you need to restore in me? Maybe you need to ask God that question. What do you want to restore in me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed before we sing this song, the greatest thing that could happen today is for you to begin this first day of 2023 with a renewed or a relationship with Christ. Maybe coming to Him for the first time, maybe re re renewing that. I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. But it is a statement of our faith when we, when we make a movement. It's a statement of faith. It's saying, God, I'm making a move towards you. Do you see this? So I'm just going to ask you in, in, a, in a few seconds just to raise your hand if you want God to restore. And actually, I'm going to back up. Before we do the, before we call you into a relationship with Christ, maybe just today, no one looking around, just in a general sense, God is, there's something you want God to restore in you this year. I'm just going to invite you to raise your hands. Just raise them. No one's looking around, and the hands are all over this room. Because all of us, most of us, many of us have things we want to see God restore in us. You can put them down. I want to pray that first. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, on this first day of January in 2023, I pray for my friends by a statement of faith of simply raising their hands saying, God, I want you to do a new work in me. I want you to restore me. I want you to restore maybe a relationship or finances or restore something at work. I don't know what it is. It's not important that I know what it is. You know what it is. I pray that by faith they would trust you that you are going to complete and finish the work in them. You're faithful. You're going to do it. So God, I pray for my friends. I pray, Lord, you would grow and increase our faith to trust in you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, no better way to start your year than to have Jesus become the first in your life and to, to start a relationship with him. He's already invited you, but this is your chance to respond to him or to return to him today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you, call you out. Yep, yep, yep. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. You know, as a statement of faith for all of us today, you can, you can uh, open your eyes. We're going to pray a prayer together to start this new year off. If you just raise your hand, this is a prayer of, of faith. And God's going to answer that prayer. I believe that. But it's also a confirmation of our faith. It's confirmation for what we've already attested to. But we're going to pray a prayer together. So I just want to invite you. I'm going to say a few words, and you just repeat it after me. But So they don't have to say it alone. Let's just say it together today. Lord, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, that he gave his life to forgive my sins, and was raised from the grave to give me life. I receive your grace by faith. Come into my life. I will follow you. Amen. Can we celebrate? I believe that God has done some good things in people's lives. It's a great way to start. Friends, we're going to sing this song as a celebration. We're going to sing this as a testament of faith what God wants to do in us and through us and through our families and the next generation. But as anyway, any time of the year, 
these altars are always just a place to pray. Maybe you want to start your year off. You want to kneel before God. There's nothing special, magical about this. We won't disturb you or anything like that unless you want us to pray with you. But if you want just a place to pray this morning, I just encourage you, let God move in the way that he wants to move in you today. But let's all, let's praise him with this song of praise today. Children and their children 
Sunday. God bless you.